In light of all that's going on in our world this morning, it may seem as though it was light years away. But back just a year and a half ago, back in September of 2018, we watched as preparations were being made along the Carolina coast for Hurricane Florence. And as we have watched over the decades with so many hurricanes hit the U.S. coast, whether it was Harvey or Florence or any of the others, we've seen a lot of preparation. We have watched on our televisions over the years as those in the path of these hurricanes, tornadoes here in Oklahoma, hurricanes along the coast, we have watched as people in advance have prepared, and particularly in mind of the tornadoes, we've watched people go and get sandbags and sandbag up around their houses. We have watched as people have put plywood over the windows of their businesses along the coast, just bracing for that hit. We have watched, even in the case, if I recall correctly, of Florida some years ago, highway reversals. And what I mean by that is when they had an interstate going both north and south, at one point they closed off the southbound interstate into Florida so that people could come out of Florida both sides. We've watched all kinds of evacuations over the years as well, and yet despite the vast amount of time and the vast amount of money and effort that people have put into preparing, we've also watched and often later heard of those who might have thought they were prepared, but who wound up looking for a last-minute rescue anyway because they weren't as prepared as they ought to have been. As we talk this morning about being properly prepared for the unexpected storms of life, I thought I would share an old illustration with you that I find quite appropriate. It is entitled, I Can Sleep When the Wind Blows. A farmer on the Atlantic seacoast constantly advertised for hired hands. Most people were reluctant to work on farms along the Atlantic coastline because of the terrible storms that wreaked havoc on the buildings as well as the crops. One applicant for the job was a short, thin man, well past middle age. Are you a good farmhand? The farmer asked him. Well, I can sleep when the wind blows, answered the little man. Although puzzled by his answer, the farmer, desperate for help, hired him. The little man worked well and he kept busy from dawn to dusk. The farmer felt satisfied with the man's work. And then one night it happened. One night the wind howled loudly from offshore. Jumping out of bed, the farmer grabbed a lantern and he rushed to the hired hand's sleeping quarters. He shook the little man and he yelled, get up, a storm is coming, tie things down before they blow away. The little man rolled over in bed and simply said, no sir, I told you, I can sleep when the wind blows. Enraged by his response, the farmer was tempted to fire him on the spot. But instead, he hurried outside to prepare for the storm. To his amazement, he discovered that all of the hay had been covered with tarpaulins. The cows were in the barn. 
The chickens were in their coops, and the doors were all barred. The shutters were tightly secured, and everything was tied down. Nothing could blow away. It was at that moment the farmer understood what his hired hand meant. So he returned to his own bed and fell asleep as well, while the wind howled. When you're prepared for storms, spiritually, mentally, and practically, you have nothing to fear. Can you sleep when the wind blows through your life? The hired hand in the story was able to sleep because he had secured the farm against the storm. We secure ourselves against the storms of life by soaking ourselves with the word of God, being obedient to it, and then placing our faith and trust in God's goodness. We don't need to understand. We just need to hold his hand to have peace in the midst our storms. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, or green for that matter. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. Unexpected, unpredictable, uncertain times and circumstances and difficulties and disasters are inevitably going to occur in this ever changing adventure that we call earthly life. Nothing stays the same. And we must be prepared to navigate through these storms or else we could lose everything. Please open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. I want us to consider what King Solomon, one of the richest and most blessed men ever to have lived, he had it all. But I want you to look at what he said and insisted on nearly 3,000 years ago by divine inspiration in Ecclesiastes 9.11. As we talk about the fact and consider the fact that no matter who you are, uncertain, unexpected, and unpredictable times and circumstances and difficulties and disasters are going to happen no matter who you are. In Ecclesiastes 9.11, King Solomon wrote, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But here's the punchline. Time and chance happen to them all. Things are going to happen to all of us. Time and chance. Now, <laughs> I love... The fact that this is Ecclesiastes 9-1-1. We're, we're so familiar with 9-1-1 being an emergency. And as we look at this text, I love the fact that this is talking about the emergency. Things, time and chance, and things are going to continue to happen to us. It doesn't matter if we're young, strong, fast, who we are, rich. It doesn't matter. Time and chance are going to happen to us all. Things are going to happen. Ecclesiastes 9-11, 9-1-1. And so notice what he goes on to say in verse 12. This flows right out of it. For man also does not know his time. 
like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Those two verses go together. He said time and chance are going to happen to everybody. And, and sometimes it's going to result in a, in a sudden and unexpected death. We don't know when our time is coming. And so what is his answer to that? What is King Solomon in all of his wisdom? What is his answer to this? Very simple, and you all know where it is. It's in the next chapter. It's chapter 12 and verse 13. Here's his answer. This is the answer to everything he said in the book. Some of you can even quote it. But this is the answer because we don't know the time of our departure. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, or as one version says, this is the whole duty of man. Jesus talked about the same exact truth in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. That's basically where he said that in Luke 13, 1 through 4, where those Galileans whom Pilate had massacred while they were worshiping, as well as the 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam on them and fell on them and killed them. He said there, they weren't any different than, than anybody else. And, and this, they weren't suffering some sort of divine punishment. Jesus explains in Luke 13, 1 through 4, hey, they, they didn't, that wasn't some divine thing, but it's the same idea that time and chance happened to us all, just as Solomon said. Things are going to happen. Sometimes bad, sudden, unexpected and occasionally even life-threatening events are going, to incur in this, are going to occur in this life. And Jesus' message to his disciples there in Luke 13 is this. The, he stressed the life and death importance of their repentance. What did he say there? Unless you repent, you too shall likewise perish. It's coming. And he says, when it does, I want you to be ready. That's the idea of you need to repent so that if time and chance happens to you, if your life suddenly, likewise, similarly comes to an abrupt and unexpected end, you need to be ready, and, and so often it does. I can think of so many instances, I've told you before, and I just want us to be aware, our whole thing this morning is, I'll save the punchline. It can happen so quickly to any of us, under any circumstances. Forget what's currently going on in our world. I remember several years ago on an Easter Sunday morning in the last congregation that I was preaching in, there was a lady come in, I've told you about her before, and I'll be brief, but, but her name was Anna, sweet little old lady, been a member of the church for 50 years. Just one of those sweet, loving, Christian little old ladies. <laughs> she was awesome. She came in, she picked up her bulletin, she smiled, probably gave me a hug like she always did. She came in, she sat through worship service, and she, you know, she was there. Later on, Sunday night, she had a really bad spell and they called the ambulance and it was just prior to midnight. Before the ambulance got out of the yard, Anna Jefferson died. Just like that. My dad, on a beautiful February morning, went out on February the 1st of 2002. Beautiful February morning in Maine. It, was, it wouldn't be beautiful maybe to most of you, but it was really beautiful to us. About eight inches of new fallen snow. And it was that light, fluffy, powdery stuff that when the sun shines, it looks like there's a bazillion diamonds buried in the white. It's just, it's just blue skies. My dad, as healthy as probably I am this morning, if not more so, went out to 
pull a cord on his snowblower and blow the, for those of you that don't know what that is, talk to me later. But he went out to pull a cord on his snowblower and clean out the yard. Dad loved the outdoors. He pulled twice and dropped dead right beside of it in snow. He was gone just like that. Massive coronary. I think of the maybe a little bit more recent news of Kobe Bryant and those that perished with him in that helicopter crash. Now when they were headed off to that softball game that morning, last thing on their mind was that they were going to be dead within an hour. It just wasn't. We could talk about those a few months back in Texas who were worshiping and were shot to death in the church. We could talk about those some years ago that went to the Mora Federal Building to work like any other day. Mothers dropped their babies off at the daycare. Um, fathers, everybody, the restaurateurs, people that were in and out just like the Twin Towers, they, they went and, and they just expected just another day and they were coming home that night and they died so quickly they never knew what hit them. Jesus very lovingly, very strongly warned more than once because he loves us so much. Just be ready. Be prepared. Get right with God. Stay right with God and you won't have to worry about it. He warned about everybody's need to be constantly preparing and getting ready for the unexpected, especially when it came to his return and our departure from this earthly life. I would remind you, and especially those of you that have set in on the Sunday morning class on a regular basis, Matthew 24 and 25, what's it all about? Be ready for my return. Make sure you're ready. You don't need to know when I'm coming as long as, you get, as, long as you're ready. When, as long as you're ready when I get here, when I get here it's not going to matter because you're going to be ready. That, that's Matthew 24 and 5. Because Jesus will return like a thief in the night. Just as he said, we've got to be constantly ready and vigilant and prepared. Just as he talked about in Matthew chapter 25, we've got to keep our lamps filled. We've got to keep our light shining. We've got to keep investing ourselves and our talents, as he talks about in Matthew 25, constantly in the service. You know, when the Lord comes back, you know what I want to be found doing? Serving the Lord or worshiping the Lord. That's what I want to be found doing. There's no better way. So my best chance of doing that is to continually serve him and worship him, and then that narrows down the chances I'll be found doing something else, right? And that's what Jesus is saying, just be ready, continually serve, don't bury your talents, serve. That was the definitive and much needed message of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 5, for all of those who wanted to escape the uncertainty of earthly life and enjoy the certainty of inheriting eternal life with him in heaven. That's the same message that I had the privilege of putting on back the current House to House. I have to write the articles to the backside of House to House, Heart to Heart, two months in advance. Two months, in, two months ago, we didn't have any idea this was going to be like it is today, right? I mean, we had no clue. If anybody had said, hey, do you know the United States basically going to shut down? We'd say, you kidding me? They won't even stop the pro sports. Who's going to stop pro sports? It was one of the first things to go, right? Two months ago when I wrote that article, it was on... Matthew 24 and 5, and the fact that Jesus said, you need to be ready because I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. We got that new house to house, and if you don't get it here, in, uh, if you live outside of the 74337 zip code, pick one up on the way out. There's a whole pile of them out here. It's, it's good, not just for the article on the back, but, but it's telling our friends and neighbors, you need to get ready, you need to be ready. Now, this has happened. Hopefully, some of them will realize their need to get ready a lot more than they have before this struck. That is my hope, one of the good things. The Bible promises us that God can bring good out of even the worst. Romans 8, 28. And my hope and my prayer, and I, and I, and I hope and pray you'll join me in it, 
is that for one of the good things to come out of our current crisis is that people realize how fleeting life is, how quickly everything can change, and that they need the changeless word of God in their lives and the security that only he can provide. There's the same message of constant readiness and preparation that the Apostle Peter emphasized in 2 Peter chapter 1. Please turn there with me. Peter knew. Peter knew. And look what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, about just simply being in a constant state of preparedness, always getting ready. He wrote, grace and peace, 2 Peter 1 and verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He said, look, God's given us everything we need, everything and it's all through the knowledge of him. By which, verse four, by that knowledge, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. He said again, through God's divine promises, through a knowledge of him, you have everything. And then he goes on to say, if I may paraphrase the next few verses, he goes on to say, that's why you need to be constantly preparing and in the book. He says, for this also, for this very reason, because of what you've been given through the knowledge of him, verse five, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, that's an ongoing thing. Add to your virtue, knowledge, that's an ongoing thing. Add to your knowledge, self-control. The more we know about God, the more are we able to control ourselves and some of the things we shouldn't be doing, yeah. This is an ongoing growth thing. This is a getting ready. This is a preparing for when the winds blow. To knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, that's not the best translation of that word. The best translation of that word is in the English Standard Version, where the New King James says, if these things are yours and abound. That doesn't really give you the, the tense there for that word abound. It's better said in the ESV, set, the ESV which says, for if, these th if this, I can say this, for if, this thing, if these things are yours and are increasing, that abounding is an ongoing thing. It is continuing to abound and grow. It is an ongoing, it is an increasing. If these things are yours and are increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. Basically what Peter says in the first few verses, hey, we get everything through the knowledge of God. Okay? In the next few verses he says, so keep adding to it all the time. Keep preparing. Keep tying things down. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep getting ready. Because if you don't, verse 9, if you're not willing to add to them, you've forgotten that you've been saved. You've forgotten how good God's been to you. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed from your old sins. Therefore, brethren, he repeats it here in verse 10, what he started out with, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. I love that. He says in verse five, giving all diligence. He gets to verse 10, he says, give even more diligence. He picks it up a level. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Watch this, brethren, for if you do these things, what things? The things he's just said, growing in all of those virtues. 
If you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, you want a guaranteed, you want it all guaranteed and locked down, here's how you do it. Keep getting ready so that when the wind blows, when you leave this life, this entrance is guaranteed. It's locked down too. That's the idea. Turn to me in your Bibles to what Paul said about this in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, which is in my Bible here, I know it's here, I've gone by it how many times? In 1 Thessalonians, this is Paul's message along those same lines. In, verse, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verses 13 through 17, Paul talks to the Church of Christ in first century Thessalonica and he says, look, when the Lord comes back, you don't have to worry about those faithful saints who have, who have died, who have left this world. When the Lord comes back, he'll bring them with him and he goes into this very comforting message there in chapter four, verses 13 through 17. And when he gets done with that, he says in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words, comfort one another with the fact that Jesus has this all under control, we're all gonna be with him, whether it's those that have passed away prior to us who are faithful in Christ or those of us to come later. It's a very comforting and encouraging message he gives them. But then, after he says, comfort one another with these words, we usually stop there and we shouldn't because when this was originally written, it wasn't divided up into chapters. That wasn't the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. This was the very next sentence. Comfort one another with these words, but, Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. He says, concerning when all this is going to take place, you, you don't need to know that. Why? Why, Paul? Well, for verse 2, you yourselves know perfectly. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. It, it's going to come at a very unexpected time. And he goes on to say, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day should overtake you as a thief. He said, look, thief in the night is the idea when Jesus is coming back. But he said, look, it shouldn't happen to you like that as far as preparedness. Now, they don't know the time. He doesn't give them a time because he doesn't know the time. Even Jesus didn't know the time. But his point is, is look, that shouldn't be that big a deal to you because you should be in this constant state of preparation anyway. You're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, it shouldn't come unexpectedly like a thief. You should expect it all the time. You're all sons of the light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. What's he saying? We need to be currently, we need to be constantly getting ready, staying ready, not fall asleep as to the fact that Jesus is coming and so be prepared when he gets here. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, we're not like that. We're not asleep to his return. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on. Notice that's present tense. That's an ongoing thing, putting on. The breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He said, look, whether you 
whether you're here or whether you're in heaven, you ought to be living with Jesus. You ought to be living for Jesus. You ought to be preparing. You ought to expect that he's coming back. You ought to live in a constant state of expecting that he's going to come back. And that way, you know what? When he does, the time doesn't matter because you'll be ready. You can sleep when the wind blows. And brethren, I, I cannot stress this enough. The incredible beauty, the incredible peace, the incredible security, the incredible blessings and benefits of being a faithful and constantly preparing child of the living God in this uncertain and unpredictable world is beyond my ability to comprehend. If you constantly spend your time in a state of getting ready and expecting the Lord's return, does that give you a peace and a comfort that the world does not know? Absolutely does. And that peace allows us, it doesn't mean that at times we're not cautious, it doesn't mean that at times that, that things will kind of happen us that are concerning, but what it does mean is we can be at peace. Was Jesus at peace the night before he was crucified? We know he was because he told his disciples that very night, peace I leave with you, my peace, what I got right now. He's going to be crucified in a few short hours. He said, my peace. I leave with you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. In other words, I'm not giving you some fleeting, some, some peace that's going to just fly away in 10 seconds when the next thing happens. He said, I'm giving you my peace. Look what I'm facing. I still have peace. And I want you to have that same peace. If I may paraphrase, not even paraphrase, if I may use the title of our sermon, what was Jesus saying? I want you to be able to sleep when the wind blows. When the, when the storms of life howl, I want you to be able to sleep and not worry about it. Brethren, what a beauty. As we discussed last week, God will never, ever, ever leave nor forsake his faithful children. Never. Not ever. Parents, you live in Oklahoma. You got a tornado coming. You've got a Call it Heidi Hole, that's not the right name for it. I grew up in Maine, so you know, I, I don't know what the name is, but you got a storm cellar, that's what I want to say. You got a storm cellar. And your family's headed down, and you can see this terrible thing coming at you. And your two year old is 50 feet away, and the family somehow is, has neglected, she's out there, and the storm's coming. Parents, how many of you'd run after your child? Every last one of you. You'd go after that child no matter what you saw coming for storm and you would protect that child at the cost of your own life. No doubt, would you not? You would. God, our Father in heaven, will never leave us nor forsake us when the storms are coming. Any more than we would leave our kid out there in the middle of that twister and that debris, he won't do it. What did he say in Matthew 7? He said. If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you? God's never going to leave us nor forsake his faithful people, those who hold on to and trust and obey him. Even, 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 even when they are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, they need fear no evil. Is that still in your Bible? It's still in mine. And if you don't have it in yours, you need a new Bible.
I hope you all read your bulletins this afternoon. I put a picture in there, so it's a really short article. What I want you to understand, and I'm going to quote from our bulletin in a moment, listen, listen close. There is nowhere that we can go. There is no trouble we can experience. And there is no hell on this earth that you and I can be forced to endure that our God does not know about, does not know how to overcome, and that our God will not be right there to walk through with his faithful children, Daniel chapter 3. As Brother Jenkins wrote, as quoted in point number two of today's bulletin article, no, you and I have never been here before, but God has. He has not been surprised, and of course he's writing about the current coronavirus, but, but his point, Brother Jenkins, in point number two, he says this, he says, God has not been surprised by anything that, that has happened. Do you think this has taken God off guard? If so, then he's not God. You got two options here, people. If it took him off guard, he ain't God. If he is God, it didn't take him off guard. Listen to the rest of this. He has not been surprised by anything that has happened. God is, he is not panicking. His plans and purposes are sovereign. He is not worried about the future. In his omnipresence, listen to this, in his omnipresence, God is already in the future. Is that true? Is God in the future as much as he's in the past? Is he in the future as much as he's in the present? Yes, God is uh, everywhere. Yes, he he is not worried about the future. In his omnipresence, he is already in the future. And as we move there, we are only moving to where God already is. Isn't God awesome? The risen Lord always goes before us. And, and I, love, I love what Brother Jenkins wrote, but I tell you something I love a lot more. I love where the Bible says the same thing that he just said. Turn with me, would you, to it. I love this a whole lot more. Turn with me to the 139th Psalm. It says the same thing, only it's divinely inspired and therefore a lot more powerful and dependable. Psalm 139, watch this in light of what I just read. O Lord, by the way, this is David, and as we talked about last week, David knew a thing or two about life-threatening peril. David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. Does God understand all of our circumstances? Yes, he does. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. As I said, there's no hell we can be forced to endure on this earth that God does not know about and will not walk through us with. Moving on. Verse 4, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Did God know in advance what he was going to say? You know what that means? 
Just what Brother Jenkins wrote. God's already in the future. He knew what David was going to say before David said it. God saw it as something David had already said because he already knew before the word was on his tongue what he was going to say. God was already in the future. This is, this is a, a biblical validation of that article uh, point that I just read. Listen, oh, this is so cool. Listen. There's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You've hedged me behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? In other words, what, what can possibly, where can I possibly go, Lord, that you're not there with me? Where can I, po you know everything I'm going to say before I say it. You know everything I'm going to think before I think it. You understand when I lie down, you understand everything I'm doing in my life. Where can I go, God, where I am beyond your ability to reach me? Where can, I, where can the darkness take me that you can't see me? Where can the perils overwhelm me so that you can't reach me? That's the idea here. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If, if everything's going wonderful for me, God's right there with me. If I make my bed in hell... If I am going through the worst thing on this planet, if I am in the midst of my personal hell on earth, if you want to use that terminology, or even the literal here, insofar as is making my bed, we know is an illustration, because you wouldn't make a bed in hell. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. No matter how difficult what I'm going through is, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Do you like the picture in your mind of Almighty God holding you in his right hand? Does that picture bring you comfort? God's got me right here. Does that bring you, it brings me comfort. And that's exactly the picture that David is painting. He said, look, your right hand, you hold me. You got me, God. Even no matter what I go through, good, bad, up, down, sideways, backwards. And look what he says here, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. If I say, this, this, this darkness, this terrible storm, this terrible whatever it is, this blackness, this darkness, is, I, I can't take it. It's just going to overwhelm me. It's going to take me down. It's going it's to destroy me. The darkness is going to fall on me. Look, he says, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Do you get what David saying? He said, look, even in my darkest of times, it's not darkness to God. What happens in the dark when you, shine, when you hit a light switch? What happens? Does the light chase away the dark, or does the dark overwhelm the light? The light always wins, doesn't it? That's why we have headlights on our vehicles. How many of you have ever turned on your headlights at night, had them working well, and the darkness just covered up and swallowed them up? That doesn't happen that way. Light always chases away darkness. Always. So David's point is no matter how dark life gets, when I think the darkness is going to overwhelm me, he said, you know what? That darkness is just like broad daylight to you, God. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, verse 12. We see that same message in a passage that I told you last week was one of my absolute favorites, and that is Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, 
we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, what would you do if you lived on the coastline and all of a sudden you saw the entire Rocky Mountains fly overhead headed for the middle of the sea? Would that get your attention? David said, you know what? Even though the mountains be picked out of their place and dropped in the midst of the sea, even though my world is in a total state of upheaval, You are a very present help in my trouble, God. And even when in our faulty human weakness and frailty, and we all have it, even when we fail and stumble and fall and mess up and doubt, if we just go to God, the God of all grace and love and mercy and faithfulness himself, will love us, forgive us, hold us, heal us, and continue to carry and comfort us. We see this in many places. For Samuel 12, 19 through 24, there's an example. Psalm 51 is an example. And there's a whole host of others, but one of the ones I want to share with you, again, is out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. Listen to this text. You can turn there in your own Bible if you want to, but I love the way it's worded, again, in the English Standard Version. It's 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'll give you a moment to turn there if you want to. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning at verse 6. As you go along, please also listen to the ESV translation rendering that I picked out. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Well, wait a minute, how's that all tied together? Here's how that's all tied together. We cannot let our adversary, the devil, who is looking to devour us, cause us to let our fears and anxieties just destroy us. Instead, we need to cast them on God. This is all, these aren't separate ideas. These all flow right along here. In the context, this is not three different topics. They all run together. If we cast our anxieties on him, then our anxieties cannot overcome us. If we, if we give our darkness to him, to whom the light and darkness, he can make the darkness go away and make it like light. If we give that to him, then the devil doesn't get a foothold. We must not let the devil get a foothold. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Everybody's experiencing the same crisis. But he still says, cast your anxieties on him. And, and I want you, this is the part I want to get to in the ESV, because it makes it so personal with God. Listen to this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, that's the word that's in the ESV, that's the force of the text. This God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, you look back at what he has done for you in Jesus, how nothing was impossible, the blessings that you have in Christ, he has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, the English Standard Version says, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish 
you. You. That's the promise. Life is very fleeting. Our life is but a breath, but a vapor in the overall scheme of things. And yes, don't put your Bibles away yet. I got one more text. Sudden, violent, violent, and unexpected storms and disasters and losses and tragedies are going to be common occurrences during our earthly lives. They just are. And because of these disasters and losses and tragedies, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to live lives of fear, anxiety, apprehension, doubt, despair, desperation. They, they, there's going to be a lot of people that, that can't sleep very well when the storms of life come because they're not prepared. Listen. If I thought for a moment that this life was all there was, that once you're in the grave, that's it, you're annihilated, there's nothing there, it's overdone, that's the end of it, there's no heaven, no hell, you're cooked, whatever. If I believed that, I'd be a lot more scared right now, wouldn't you? Because this is a life-threatening thing. And if I knew that I was somebody who had never taken the time to prepare, I've never taken the time to get to truly know God, and I, and I knew that I had sinned or, and that sort of thing, and I knew that there was a heaven and a hell, and I didn't, I didn't have the absolute assurance of going to heaven when I died. If I thought maybe I had a chance of going to hell when I died because, because I didn't know all that the Bible says and I hadn't taken time to learn and know and grow and prepare, I'd be pretty scared right now too, wouldn't you? If hell was one footstep away? That's scary even talking about, you ever stand up and have those little chills go up your back? I'm getting those right now. I really am. I just like, wow, hell's a scary place. So a lot of people who are not prepared are going to live these lives of apprehension and fear. They can't sleep very well when the wind blows because they're not prepared. But listen, for those people who have and continue to prepare, those people who constantly, humbly, faithfully, and fully continue to learn about God, to submit to His Word, they surrender their lives up to His will, they obey His Word, they trust Him no matter what, on a daily basis, those are the type of people who can sleep when the wind blows because they know they're prepared. They know, just like the Apostle Paul did, as he wrote Philippians 1.18 through 24 and 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. They know. They know, just like the Apostle John did, as he wrote 1 John 5, 10 through 12. <laughs> and they know, just like the Apostle Peter did. I want to close with this. We've talked about this whole sermon, kind of the theme of being able to sleep when the wind blows, being at peace, because you know you're prepared. Do you know the Apostle Peter did that? Turn to me in your Bibles to Acts 12. This scripture illustrates that so well, at least in my mind, that story that I started with. Actually, that story I started with illustrates this truth very well. Is a much better way to say that. My apologies. 
Acts chapter 12. Just, just look at this. Now about that time, verse 1 of Acts 12, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. The church was under persecution. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. This was real. This is just as real as any death from the coronavirus or cancer or anything else in our world today, okay? James, the brother of John, was killed with a sword. Remember James and John, sons of thunder? This is, this is, that, this is what we're talking about here, okay? And because Herod, he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, if it pleased the Jews, which he wanted to do, to behead John, what do you think his plans are for Peter? It's not to have him over for dinner. Peter is in a situation that threatens his very life. Already know. Already know James has been killed by this guy. Already know that's why he arrested Peter. Peter, Peter, you, you must be just, just, just wringing your hands and, and, and you must be a mess, Peter. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him and put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him out before the people after Passover. The only reason that Peter is not a head shorter by this verse is because Herod is waiting until the Jews get done with Passover so he can say, hey, everybody look at me instead of celebrating Passover. I'm going to behead another one. I'm going to make you all happy. It's the only reason Peter's still at his regular height here, okay? Please understand when it says he put him in prison, wasn't like today's prisons, and he delivered him to four squads of soldiers. In case you don't know how many that is, a squad consists of four soldiers. So Peter is being guarded by 16, not two, not seven, not 16 Roman. These aren't, these aren't temple guards. These are battle-hardened Roman soldiers, the iron-fisted legions of Rome. These are not guys that, that are afraid to kill. These are not guys that huh, are going to let their, let their prisoner get away. These are 16 Roman soldiers, because in those days, if you let your prisoner get away, your own life was forfeit. These boys were serious. If you're in that circumstance, and you know you're going to die, Think about how you feel. Sometimes we have much less than that that keeps us awake at night. Moving on. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. When Herod was about to bring him out, Herod's going to bring him out the next day. Passover's ending, Peter's coming out, and that's going to be the end of that story. That night, what's Peter doing? <laughs> Peter's sound asleep. That night, Peter was sleeping. As we read on in that story, check this out. Not only was Peter sleeping, he got 16 guards. You know, he's got, he got a guard on each side of him here. He knows what's coming. He's sleeping. Bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. Not only is Peter sleeping, but a light comes on. There's a light showing in the prison. Do you wake up if, you know, when it thunders at night, lightning, when the lightning's really bright? We used to live in a place where a car would pull into the driveway next to us, and as they pulled into the driveway, the headlights would shine in our bedroom window, and it kind of like go through on the walls, right? Well, I don't care how soundly you're, well, I didn't always wake up, but light sleepers, right? You see those lights come on, 
And you see the whole, living, the whole bedroom light up. It's like, whoa, what's going on? Until you get used to the fact that somebody's using the driveway next door, right? So here's Peter. Life and death circumstances. No, not life and death. He's going to die. Lights. An angel of the Lord shows up. Lights in the prison. And he still had to poke Peter to raise him up. See that in that verse? Isn't that what it says? And the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. Chains fell off his hands. Peter could sleep when the wind blew. Can you? Do you have that kind of peace in the midst of the worst earthly peril? Do you have that kind of calm in the midst of the most life-threatening calamity? Do you have full and unflinching faith in the midst of the most overwhelming and all-consuming fear? Can you sleep when the unexpected storms of life blow in hard, fast, and deadly? If the answer to that question is yes, then chances are pretty good that you have totally and completely surrendered your life, your soul, and everything you do, including the worst fears you have, you've pretty well surrendered them over to God, to his will, to his authority, to his sovereignty. And so you can be confident of and continue to rest in God's eternal peace, power, presence, providence in all of your problems, but if the answer to that question today is no, no I can't, then might I suggest that you come forward here in a minute and we will pray for you. Might I suggest that you spend more time with God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and so if our faith doesn't allow us to sleep when the wind blows, Maybe we need to continually grow in all of those virtues that we talked about, that Peter talked about. For if these are yours and are increasing, you'll never be unfruitful. Jesus died so that you and I could have peace when the storms of life howl all around us. That's what he wants. If you want that this morning and you don't have it, you can be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and know they've been forgiven because that's what the Bible says. And again, you're surrendering yourself totally to him. Or if you're somebody who still struggles, stays awake at night over the slightest bump in the night or whatever comes your way, and you need the prayers of the saints, we will pray for you. Anything we can do to help you to be able to sleep when the wind blows, we'll do right